0: Hello and welcome to Six Figure Dog Business on PetLifeRadio.com. This is your host, Ty Brown of SixFigureDogBusiness.com. Now, this is the show where we teach you how to start or grow your pet-related business to a healthy six-figure per year income or more. Now, on today's show, I'm excited. We've got Mark Goldberg from ChicagoDogTrainer.com who owns one of the top-performing dog training companies in the world. So stay tuned and we'll be right back with Mark who's going to teach business owners how to develop their own hook. We'll be right back.
1: sit stay we'll be right back after a short pause Join the Dog Ring Revolution! If you love your dog and want to take them everywhere you go, now you can with Dog Ring. Dog Ring is a hands free way to include your dog in more activities and give you the freedom to take your dog almost anywhere. It's a safe and easy way to secure your dog. It clips around trees, posts, and poles in seconds. It's lightweight, portable, and strong. It has a free sliding leash which allows your dog to run around without getting tangled up. Perfect for parks, picnics, barbecues, camping, lounging outside, and furry fun adventures everywhere. Now you can be part of the Dog Ring revolution. Visit thedogring.com and sign up for our Kickstarter campaign. Registration is now open. Go to thedogring.com. That's thedogring.com.
0: Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know... Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit DigDefense.com today. D-I-G, D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com.
1: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com
0: Okay, and we're back and with us today we've got Mark Goldberg from ChicagoDogTrainer.com So first off, Mark let me just give you a big thanks Thanks for being on the show today
1: Well, thanks for having me Ty. glad to be with you
0: And so I want to talk to you and pick your brain because you've been in business a long time and you've developed a lot of what I call hooks or or what you call hooks rather. But before we get into that, can you give us a bit of background, who you are, what you've been doing, what your business is, that type of thing?
1: For sure. I started uh, training dogs I think in a pretty typical fashion except for it just happened to be when I was quite little. I was 11 when I managed to beg, borrow, and steal my first dog who got hit by a car on the road right in front of our house. Right in front of me, blue Volkswagen, 1969. I don't don't think I'll ever forget it. Were you – I don't think you were born for a couple of decades yet, were you, Ty? No, you could give me another 21 years and I would have been born. (laughs) Right, so that's okay. We're going to forgive you your youthful inexperience. It's going to be fine. I'll I'll bring you along. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> like I said, you're youthful and experienced. It's to be understood. But, you know, the reality of it, all, all kidding aside, it was kind of a horrible thing to see as a, as a child. Mm-hmm. So, my mom, as soon as that dog got healed up from his surgery, my mother shipped us both off to dog school, dog training school. There were places back in those days where you could go and take weeks and weeks of obedience lessons, things that people almost don't seem to have time for anymore. But and you this went was with the dog? Uh, this was my introduction. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Went with the dog. It was not a residential program. It was just to go and train every week, practice, and then come back and and take the next lesson. This went on for ten or twelve weeks. And the reality of it was, back in those days, this was uh, late '60s, early '70s. People seemed to have more leisure time than they do now. So it was very common to take long dog training classes with lots of homework, put the time in for a very small amount of money. But the end of the process was you got to train the dog. So this was a very crowded class. I was a really little kid. I'm sure I wasn't very good at anything back in, in that period of my life. But the dog I had was quite spectacular and he won that class. And I never forgot getting the blue ribbon out of about 30 adults when I was 11 or 12. And I think that was the that was a big start for me.
0: Nice. And so where did that lead for you as far as being a professional as a dog trainer?
1: Well, you know, a little bit of passion, actually I should say a whole lot of passion and maybe a little bit of OCD can really uh, rocket you ahead (laughs) in business. And I I think it did me because I had a lot of passion to try and understand this creature, this species uh, that that we call dog. I'm sure I'm not the first person in the last 30,000 years of of human-dog relationship to rack my brain over what makes this animal... So unique and have such an incredible relationship with human beings. So I continued to train my dog even though there were no more training classes. I did it on my own. There were only a couple of books published in the modern era about dog training, and I, I devoured those. And then there was a section of sort of dog novels, if you will, in my junior high school. And I read them. I read the whole shelf of them. And then the, the next shelf was horses. Uh, so I just kept going. And this seemed to alarm my junior high school teacher a little bit (laughs) because she thought I was reading my way counterclockwise through her library, you know, and and it just worried her that maybe I had a problem. So she sort of did an intervention. But when she found out that it was really about training dogs, she took me home (laughs) and she had me train her dachshunds. Um, Yeah. The interesting thing was, I'm not exactly sure what the minimum wage was in 1971, but I'm pretty sure it was something along the lines of 20 cents or 30, 40 cents. I mean, gas costs under 40 cents a gallon where I lived. So I know minimum wage was very low, and I trained her dogs for about an hour, and she drove me home and gave me five bucks, which was <laughs> pretty amazing, <laughs> you know, because my allowance, I think, was $2, and I had to mow a half-acre lawn for that. So, <laughs> so um, at that point,
0: you're a professional dog trainer. You've
1: oh, I was off and running at that point. The next year in junior high school, we had print shops, so I printed up a, a business card <laughs> with movable types, just like Ben Franklin did, because um, that's how they taught us back then. Uh, about printing. And, um, so then I, then I had business cards. Now you're too young to remember this squirt. but what the reality is, is there was an internet before the electronic internet. There was an internet. I mean, a place where a central gathering place for information where people could just tap into everything going on in their community. And that internet before the internet was the grocery store bulletin board. And that's where everybody left notes and business cards and sold this and that and so forth. So I started to just plug my business cards up on those grocery store bulletin boards. And that's where I, that's where I got my first set of clients.
0: Here we are, 2013. How long have you been uh, in business where dog training is your sole profession?
1: Well, sole profession, um, let me think. That's probably only about 10 years. I trained for a nonprofit for probably 10 or 15 of the last 30 years. So I maintained and still actually maintain a whole separate company. But what happened in my situation was the growth of the one company outstripped the other. So I just sort of transferred my full-time interests over to the dog training company some time ago. But here we are today.
0: Mm-hmm. But essentially,
1: you've been training professionally for thirty some odd years now, correct? Well, it's you know forty some, frankly. And if I make it to fifty years, I'll let you know. But yeah, and it's not that I'm that old. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know if I'm protesting too much. It's not that I'm that old. It's just that I started when I was so terribly young. You know, that was really the uh, the hook for me. I mean, listen, I grew up in Philadelphia, and I was a kind of a precocious kid. Those people who know me will find that you know hard to imagine, because I I'm, you know kind of a a pushy personality type, I guess. And um, so, you know, I would be 15 years old hopping an Amtrak train to New York City, and I would just con my way into the American Kennel Club. They were located on Madison Avenue at the time, and you could just walk in there and tell them. I told them all kinds of stories. I, I always looked a little older, so I told them I was a college student researching dogs, and I had free run of the AKC, American Kennel Club Library, when I was wow. 14, 15, 16, and uh, they had dog books going back into the 1700s. They had stud books that were handwritten by Quill. You know, you could hold these in your hands hundreds of years old. Really amazing stuff, but this was very inspirational for me. And so I always maintained my, my affiliation with dogs. I always wanted to help people to achieve a better result with their dogs then. You know than they could without professional assistance. And then at some point, at some point, I'll tell you frankly, this is what really happened to me. I had been selling, I think, the typical sorts of services that dog trainers normally would sell, which included group classes, which I trained through college. I organized group classes all through college. And I don't want to say I put myself through college training dogs. I certainly got my pocket money that way. And then as I got older, I started doing uh, private lesson packages and so forth. But something happened in the economy because when, when I was a kid, the pet economy was in the uh, 9 10 11 12 billion dollar range which is a really large number i mean especially in the 70s that was a huge segment but that number has grown today to something on the order of 55 billion dollars so it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's been huge increases in that area okay so people are spending more on their pets really than they ever did And simultaneously, if you start studying leisure time in America, what you find is is that it is reaching all-time new lows. So spending is up, leisure time is down. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a perfect storm for a dog trainer, if, if. It's a perfect storm for a dog professional, really, if, if you listen to the market. And if you ignore the market, you're just going to be swept away or drowned. But you you can ride it like a tidal wave if you happen to be listening to the market. Now, I don't claim to be the smartest guy. So I don't think I listened until I had a client school me. Want to hear the story? Yeah, absolutely. So, great. Well, young entrepreneurial friend of mine, he was in his mid-20s. He owned two, three restaurants. He had a problem with a golden retriever. So he wanted me to train this dog. And I had just moved into a new house. So I told him, I'll trade you catering dog training. Let's get started. Work out free for you. And- It'll be free for me and so let's go. But I was trying to sell him a lesson plan and he kept telling me, no, no, no. I want you to just take my dog and fix her because like, yes. I don't have time to, you know, goof around with training dogs. And the idea fairly well appalled me. So, because, you know, you have to train your own dog. I had never just taken anybody's dog and trained it. I'd been training dogs for many years, but I had never done that. And therefore, I had the preconceived notion that it wouldn't work, that you had to train your own dog or it really wouldn't work. So I put him off and put him off and... Maybe eight months later, he called me up and asked me again. And I said, well, let's get started. He's like, no, I want you to take her because the last guy I paid didn't really fix my dog. You know, that caught my attention. Said, what do you mean the other dog trainer? He goes, well, I'm sorry, but I cheated on you. <laughs> 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 and he hired, hired another dog trainer and spent 1200 bucks to wow, have this dog board and trained. This was decades ago, right? Uh, this, was, uh, this was probably 15 years ago. And okay. so if you do the time value of money, you know, it was a bunch of money. I mean, I was later to end up pushing that envelope much harder you know, than that, even, even taking into account time, value, of money. But it really stunned me, and he said it didn't work. So I advised my buddy to take his dog back to that dog trainer because it, it had only been home from the program a month and you know, get him to run her through the program again. And uh, he did call that fellow and was informed that he'd be happy to retrain that dog for a whole new fee, another 1,200 bucks. So, yeah, I bought a refrigerator with that dog and she stayed trained because I trained her better than the first trainer did. I got well paid. I never knew you could buy a refrigerator with a dog, but I did with one dog. (laughs) And I guaranteed my work for a lifetime on that dog, which is how I seduced my buddy into paying me that much. I said, you know, one fee, lifetime coverage. And, um, you know, that worked out very well for me. And that really is what put the spark in my mind to listen to the marketplace and to create some sort of parity between what the market wants and and what I could sell. You can't give people everything they want because sometimes they're not realistic, and you don't want to overpromise. You don't want to underperform. But I started to really listen to my clientele and to uh, and to try and give them what they wanted instead of what I wanted them to have, and that made a huge economic difference to me, Ty.
0: And that's what I want to talk to you about. You know, I kind of teased this segment with saying, you know, you've got one of the top performing dog training companies in the world. And I and I wasn't exaggerating when I say that because you and I have spoken before and I know that you're making far more money and you're working at a pace that is far easier than probably 99 point something percent of dog trainers in the world. And so… I know that you've done a lot of it based on what you would call developing a hook, which is what you've been talking about over this last little bit. So what I want to do, I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you some questions here and figure out how does everyone develop a hook? How can the average dog trainer, pet sitter, dog walker develop a hook that can start defining their business, their income, et cetera. So stay with us and we'll be right back.
1: Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure.
0: At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air Muscle and Radio Root Cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson, music to your ears. Hi, I'm Dr. Jeff Werber from Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We want to hear from you. Listen in. We're on every Thursday, 1 o'clock Pacific time, 4 o'clock Eastern time here on PetLifeRadio.com. We are one of the only live shows on Pet Life Radio, and I'm here to answer your questions. So you can call in at 877 385 8882, or you can drop me an email to Jeff at petliferadio.com, and hopefully, we'll see you here on Thursdays.
1: Let's talk, pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Petliferadio.com <laughs>
0: All right, we're back, and we're with Mark Goldberg of ChicagoDogTrainer.com. And uh, so far, this is a great interview. This is one of the more conversational interviews that we've done, and it's fun to listen to you reminisce about a lot of these things. I want to ask you some questions now about hooks. When I say hook, how would you define that? How would you define what that means for the average
1: business owner? Well, to me, it means whatever would distinguish you from the crowd so that people will want to consider hiring you versus anybody else so a hook is something that's unique and different in the way that you present yourself and your services so that you can stand out from the crowd
0: excellent so in your business what are some of the hooks that you have
1: well i try to take a little bit of a page first of all out of the real estate folks you know i think the wheel has been invented a little bit on selling service so and that's what dog training is. It is a service. So let me just stop and sort of move back one step from that question of what are my hooks to just talk quickly about the importance of developing an understanding of the market. Because if you don't understand the market, you're not going to know how to hook it. And then we'll, we'll circle back around and quickly answer that question. Too many dog trainers believe that this is a business for the, uh, the hermit, the, the person who doesn't like people. People suck. I love animals. That's why I do this. The reality of it is, is that this is a people job. This is, uh, certainly it involves animal work. Of course it does, but this is a people-oriented job. And the professionals who don't realize that and who who aren't okay with that and who don't excel and study this are never gonna prosper. And the reason for that is dogs don't have checkbooks. Dogs don't have debit cards, you know? So nobody ever got hired by the dog. Therefore, this is a people-oriented business. And people, make decisions based on a lot of factors, which include mind, you know, intellectually sort of trying to determine what you're offering, pocketbook, what their budget and needs are, and then uh, there's a whole set of emotional factors that come into play as well. And so I want to hook people on all those levels. So first, the real estate industry, you know, if you think about it, everybody knows a good realtor who has been kept in the family for a generation or two. Oh, you got to call so-and-so. And uh, that's who I want to be to my clients. I want their kids, their, their neighbors. I want their friends, maybe someday their grandkids. <laughs> you know? But I, I definitely want them to think of me and recommend me. And if you look at real estate people, they're all selling the same house. I mean, what distinguishes one from the other? It's just a little bit about service. So mm-hmm. these folks tend to put their pictures on their website. They put their picture on their business cards. They come across as uh, friendly, willing, knowledgeable, and with integrity. And this is who I I wish to be to my clientele. So I'm an old hand at this, so I stress my decades of experience. But if I were a new kid on the block, I would probably be stressing my fresh approach rather than my decades of experience because I wouldn't have it. But in my case, I tend to stress the amount of uh, background that I have in this. Any problem that you have, I have probably encountered. A lot of times, if you have something new and and weird that I never heard of, it's probably going to be scary because in 40 years, I've probably come across it already. And it's very rare that I'm surprised anymore. So I usually have a clear picture of what to do based on prior experiences. And I need to talk to people about that in a way that doesn't make me sound like a know-it-all. So Mm -hmm. number one, I want to come across as experienced, but number two, I want to meet people know that I'm still extremely interested in what they're going through, what their experience is, what what they need and what they want. So I think experienced and extremely caring is the other aspect of, of my hook. That's about me. And then, of course, there's a facility to talk about and... A lot of my clientele come from far, which means I am not a conveniently located guy. And I know I'm not tremendously located because many of my clients have to pass 10 dog trainers in order to get to me. So I sell, rather than convenience, I sell on the emotional side of environment because I'm on a farm. Mm-hmm. And I've created a, an environment, a facility that I call the little dog farm. And it is a little dog farm. I'm on just uh, three acres but I'm tucked into a 250-acre county park. So we've got hundreds of acres here to roam and play with and train on for the dogs. It's a really picturesque setting. And if you're going to send your dog away for education, wouldn't you rather send it to a farm that's like, like a happy, tidy, interesting-looking place where you can play in the sunshine versus, let's say, a converted warehouse racked out with kennel runs because that's what you have if you're in the city. Right? So I've deliberately created an environment that makes me stand out and be unique. Everybody wants their dog to go to a farm. I mean, if you can possibly afford it. So Mm -hmm. that's another hook is sort of my environment, if you will. Now, if I were training dogs out of a private home and I didn't have a farm and I didn't have a warehouse, then my hook would be, hey, I integrate your dog literally right into my living room. Mm -hmm. And instead of that being a bad thing, I would seek to make that a good thing. I train only a couple at a time. Your dog is like literally my family. And uh, we're going to watch TV together and learn how to settle as we do so. So there's any number of ways to present yourself as a great, caring, knowledgeable professional, even if you're young, even if you're young. So if you're starting out, then the key thing that you want to stress, I believe, is your ongoing continuing education, uh, the fresh approaches and the passion that you bring. And if you've been around for a long while and you're not doing six figures, then maybe you need to examine your attitude towards people because Mm -hmm. some some dog trainers burn out. You know, we hear the same nonsense day in, day out. And it can be hard to take people constantly complaining about their dogs and not doing the right things to make it better. Mm -hmm. But, I try and remember every person who calls me is trying to determine whether they want to give me money or not. And I want to help them do that if I'm the right guy.
0: Gotcha. Now let me ask you this because I know that one of the hooks that you have is the results that you get for people. You get better results than the next trainer, for example. So any dog trainer can say we get the best results. How do you take something that could be vague and turn it into a specific hook for what you're doing?
1: Well, I'm really careful to not say I'm getting. I'm going to get you better results than anybody else. So I think I get great results from my clients? Yeah, sure, I definitely do. But I think people should be very wary about saying, I'm going to give you better results than this guy or that guy. I think no consumer thinks in terms of, you know is Joe or Pete going to give me a better toilet install? All they want to know is, will my dog, who I love, will my dog, who I love, be happy, healthy, well cared for, and will, will she learn? So that's what you want to give people confidence in, I think. And you know the, the funny thing is when you talk about results I stress relationship more than results. Okay. I stress relationship more than I don't talk about so much you know your dog is going to have this rock solid downstay. I mean that's selling training. Training is behavior. Behavior in dog training is heel sit down stay come. You know, it's five behaviors typically that, that we work on other than the problem behaviors that we have to stop, like the jumping and the chewing and, and whatever. But if I'm selling he'll Sit Down, Stay Calm based on results, then I'm getting in line with a bunch of people who are not doing the service in the way I am. They're not creating the same sort of value uh, or brand. So frankly, I think I exceed my client's expectations on results, but I sell on the basis not so much of results but of relationship. I do want to let my people know I understand you need the jumping to stop and and so forth. And I do promise to work that out and to ultimately make them happy. But I think that I have learned to leave some of the results oriented sales pitch to my competition. When you sell on the basis of your dog will come home perfect. If the dog doesn't go home perfect, even if it's the fault of the client, guess who catches the blame? Oh yeah, exactly. You know, so I want to talk more about relationship, follow up, long-term friendships You know, my friend, George Cockrell, good dog trainer, really good dog trainer from Maryland. He once phrased it to me like this, people buy a dog because they want a friend and they call us because they don't want their friend to be a butthead. (laughs) 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 And you know, like nobody ever called me saying, you know, I want to be able to walk into an AKC novice ring and come out of there with close to a 200 score. Mm -hmm. Um, I want heel with auto sits that are perfectly straight. I want recalls where the where the dog fronts within two inches, looking straight up into my eyes without touching me. I want mm-hmm. a precise this or that. People, you know, people just—I believe a lot in the Rodney King method of dog training. You know, which is can't <laughs> no we boy, all just I gotta get hear along? This. Can't we all just get along? I'm I mean, glad what, that's that was, the, part that was of the
0: Rodney King that that we're that,
1: talking about. Yeah, no, not yeah, of course not the wood shampoo. You know, not the unfairness, not the violence, but the the philosophy that that man came out with. Um, you know. After he had been treated that way, his his thought was, you know, can we all just get along? And most dogs just don't know how to do that. They don't know why they should. Most of their owners don't know how to teach them. But, of course, as professionals, we do. So I center, I think, a little bit more on helping people become inspired about the relationships they can enjoy with their dog rather than talking about technical results. I like that because
0: what it sounds to me like what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like what you're saying is there's a conversation going on, you know, competitor because you've already talked about okay, our hook is what makes us stand out. And you're saying, all right, competitors a b c d e f g They're talking about results. They're talking about this. I'm changing the conversation. Yeah, those things are great, but let's talk about, you know, the comfort of your dog. Let's talk about the comfort of our relationship. And so it sounds like your hook is all about changing the conversation that the industry is having and bringing it back to you and showing how you're better at it. You know, we've got this comfortable farm. We've got this, uh, you know, this friendship quality that, uh, that we have going with our clients, et cetera. Am I encapsulating this the right way?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a great recap. I mean, think of it like this for a second toilet paper, okay? I don't know about you, Ty, but I have certain standards. I have certain standards. Two-ply, for example. Two-ply, that's a standard. Right? Yes. Now, I don't really care if it's quilted. I don't mind. It. I don't care if it's quilted. Be super plush plush. You know, it's nice if it's okay. You know, it just has to be, you know, it has to meet a certain standard of approval. But within that framework, within the framework of it, it has to meet a certain standard of approval. I have no brand loyalty and I will buy whatever is cheapest that day that I need it. Okay. And I think that most people are like that with certain objects. Now, some people have brand loyalty on toilet paper, but on dish soap, they don't care. So it just varies, you know, from individual to individual. But I can tell you this, in terms of purchasing dog training, you do not want, I do not want to sell based on location, because if I sell based on location, I had better be really convenient. Mm -hmm. I do not want to sell based on results, because if I'm selling based on results, I'm I'm going to attract only the very, very pickiest clients. Uh, I do not want to sell based on price, or I had better have the lowest one within, within my region. I want to change the paradigm. I want to completely change the dialogue. I want people who want to have relationships with their dog and, and, with their, and with their service professional. And if I can get onto that basis with the client, then every other dog trainer, I never talk about competition, but I know they've spoken to other dog trainers and I know I'm a breath of fresh air. When they finally get me, oui, I'm a breath of fresh air because... I'm not talking about heel, sit down, stay calm, crate training. I mean, we'll get into those details if they want to know, you know, what precisely we're going to do. But I'm, I'm really trying to sell a dream because nobody, nobody ever sent, you know, a five-year-old kid to kindergarten thinking, you know, whip this little monster into shape. You know, <laughs> they, they want their child to go to school to learn to be socially productive, to have a fulfilled life, to be able to progress in their life. And this is why people send dogs to school these days. And um, quite frankly, I am sure that the average party today is spending more on their uh, dog's education with me than people used to spend on a college education 50, 60 years ago. It's it's a beautiful thing.
0: (laughs) That's a perfect way to end our interview. I really hope those that are listening, you've given a lot of wonderful gems in here about how somebody can create their own hook, you know, how somebody can look at their situation, whether it's years in the business, location, whatever, and create their own hook. I'm hoping that people are listening, are figuring out what they can do to kind of change the conversation because I think that's one of the biggest gems that I got out of this is if we're having the same conversation that everyone else is having, we just get lost in the din, And so it's our job to kind of change that conversation. So excellent information. For those that want to learn from you, come to your seminars, check out your location, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Well, there's two or three ways to do that. Number one, I have a phone number is 630-709-DOGS, 630-709-DOGS. My retail website is chicagodogtrainer.com. And then finally, my uh, website for people who would like to mentor or study under me as professionals, that is chicagodogtrainerschool.com.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. This has been a fun interview. Thanks, Ty.
1: I've enjoyed myself, too. You take care.
0: Excellent. And so for those that uh, would like to listen to our other shows here on Six Figure Dog Business, click on PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Six Figure Dog Business to listen to all of our shows. Thank you so much for listening today, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.